1: Hi, I'm Danielle Rodeutchen, and welcome to episode 16 of the ASOS podcast, My Big Idea. I'm here in the ASOS canteen in London to chat to writer and stylist Laurel Pantine all about how she left her life as a New York fashion journalist working for titles such as Teen Vogue and Glamour to travel the world and make money while doing it. Here's Laurel's Big Idea. Hi, Laurel hi Danielle. Thanks for talking to ASOS. Yeah, thank you for having me. So for people who don't know you, for our listeners who don't know you, can you just talk us through a bit about your career so far? Yeah, um, so
0: I started my career six years ago at Condé Nast in New York. Um, I started at Teen Vogue. I was Eva Chen's assistant, which is just like the ultimate lottery in terms of best bosses you could imagine having. Um, Do you want to explain who Eva Chen is for yeah, people so, who might so not Yeah, sorry. So Eva Chen her? is just an Instagram powerhouse. She is the ultimate cool girl. She's um, She was the beauty director at Teen Vogue when I was there and then she went on to be the editor-in-chief of Lucky and then now she's at Instagram and she's just incredibly smart, incredibly sweet, very stylish. Um, and she was really helpful in forming my career. So I started as her assistant in beauty, and then... Um, that was at Teen
1: Vogue, did you say? At Teen Vogue. Yeah. I was there for three yeah. years, which wow. was great. Wow. What was
0: that like? It must have been amazing Like It was there. amazing. Um, the nice thing about Teen Vogue is that they're so committed to encouraging young people and helping um, the readership explore their inter- interests and build their careers. So. As an employee there, there's a lot of feeling of, um, you know, you want to try this thing or that thing, like, great, give it a shot. So Amy Astley's amazing, and the team there at the time was great. They're still great, obviously. But um, And also, being Eva's assistant at that time, she was the beauty director, but also was involved in special projects and in the web, and she was just starting to get into social media. So as her assistant, I saw that it's important to really have a diverse range of interests and skills
1: um, and I also started to see the importance of social media so then both of which I want to talk to you about in a bit because they both are really interesting um, and so you moved on quite quickly from Teen Vogue. Yeah then, didn't so you? after beauty I thought that
0: in the interest of diversifying I wanted to try to move more towards fashion so I went to glamour and I was in accessories there um, I was writing for the web because digital is so important um, and I was there for a year, which was great. And then Eva was brought on at Lucky, and she brought me over to be the style editor. So then I was covering um, fashion markets, working in
1: American was fashion, British fashion. Was that job that you really went for, because you decided you wanted it, or was it offered to you? Um,
0: I, I wanted to continue growing. I liked, it's rare in the magazine industry to switch departments as often as I did and it was important to me to keep switching and it's important to me that every new t- every time I have a new job that there's a completely different skill set that you learn because ultimately I want to be that unicorn who can kind of do everything so um, I knew that it was probably time to move on and it just happened at the right time and when you get the opportunity to work with Eva you really don't pass it up she's that amazing um, I, like obviously kind of adore her. <laughs> so when that came up, I, I was really excited, and I really was thrilled to go to Lucky. Um, I was there for a little over a year. And then last December, I got the opportunity to move to Cape Town for six months with my now fiancé. And um,
1: I was hired at Condé Nast right out of college, so I never took a gap year. I never studied abroad. So where did you... So you were, you're from Austin, Texas, yeah. in the U.S., and then you went to to NYU.
0: Yeah, I grew up in Austin, Texas and I went to NYU and I started interning at Condé Nast while I was still in school. So, I've just... And how did you get the internship? Did you apply or how did that I work? Apply... It's kind of a long story but I applied um, and I started out in a completely different sector of the magazine world. I started in marketing at a home magazine so I went, in reality I went marketing to editorial and then beauty, accessories, fashion, like I really switched it up every time. Um, but anyway, so when the chance came
1: to move abroad and work abroad, I was just super excited to go for it. So that's, that's quite a big thing. So you had this really, um, really successful career in New York, especially the kind of career that I think lots of people would really love to have. And um, you got a lot of recognition for it, and you were really successful. And then you just decided to completely change. Yeah. Um, what was that like? It was a, Honestly, it was a really difficult
0: decision. Um, You spend so much of your time building this career and building your identity around your career and it's really hard to see who you're going to be and what it's going to all mean once you leave that nest. Um, I always felt like I would eventually probably do some freelance work and um, like I said, it's important for me to always kind of switch it up and it just felt like it was the right moment to try and go out on my own a little bit and when you get the chance to... Move to Cape Town and live on the beach for six months you know you kind of really can't say no hell yeah
1: (laughs) oh my god so come on let's talk about this so you keep sort of saying how important it is to be quite varied and have a lot of different skill sets and keep as you say switching it up so why do you think that's important um I think it's important for me personally because I don't
0: I don't like to do the same thing every day and especially as a freelancer you want to be in a position where someone thinks like, I need someone who can style out this story and then write the copy and then blast it on social media and then do a video on top of it and you want to be the person, or I at least want to be the person that they think of when it comes to that. Um, I think a lot of the time people, especially in fashion, define their careers like you would define a hair color. You know, you're know, you a stylist, you're a writer, you're a blonde or a brunette, and for me it's really important to be a little bit of everything and it just makes your life more interesting and... Um, I think especially, it's especially important to diversify when you're going freelance, because jobs,
1: you know, unless you're that incredible, jobs don't come across the door yeah. every day. So, so how did you make that transition from having a full-time, a permanent job in New York to being a freelancer? Um, the
0: first step when I was leaving was to try and set up as many meetings as I could in New York and let people know what was going on and where I was going to be. Um, I've tried throughout my career to really foster a lot of relationships and keep those intact, which I think is important no matter what you're doing. And so I, that was the first step. And then the second step was to start researching the kinds of people I would want to work for when I got to Cape Town. And so Condé Nast has an office in Cape Town. I started just blind emailing editors-in-chief. Um, I was emailing
1: creative agencies to see if they wanted to represent me as a stylist. Did you get a good response? Did people get back to you? Or did you find that you had to keep pestering them quite a lot? I, it's
0: the same as in New York. You send out 10 emails and you get four responses. Um, and there's a really fine line between being persistent and being annoying. And that's really something. What's, your, what's, the,
1: def- what's the difference? I, I don't,
0: to be honest, like sometimes I worry that I am kind of annoying. That's something that I really only figured out as people started to reach out to me. But I think The general rule that I live by is two emails, no response, it's dead. It's not going to happen. Okay. Um, Unless you have an opportunity to go to an event or something and meet that person. And then you can say, hi, you know, I'm Laurel. I've been, I emailed you last week, was wondering if whatever the thing is. Um, But I think emailing people in general and just reaching out and trying to not be too shy to do that is important no matter what. Um, So that was my second step in moving to Cape Town and kind of trying to get my ducks in a row before I actually got there. Um, And so then once I got there, I had a few meetings already set up and those turned into
1: the work that I would be doing for the whole time I was there. And so you've been... What have you been doing? Because um, I know you're not just writing. Are you doing other stuff as well? You're styling as well?
0: Yeah. When I was in Cape Town, I'm doing a lot more writing in London than I am styling. But when I was in Cape Town, I was doing a lot more styling than writing. So it's kind of been a little bit of an interesting change. Um, I did some stories for Glamour in South Africa. I was writing for some publications back home. Um, part of being that unicorn is doing, in my experience, travel writing and fashion um, So there's been a lot of travel writing also, which is really cool and very different for me. How have you coped being away from your family and friends while you've been away? It was a lot harder in Cape Town than it's been in London. Um, People don't just casually go to Cape Town, but people come through London (laughs) pretty often. So I've seen seen a lot of my friends since I've been here and um, I'm going back to New York for Fashion Week and it's just been a lot easier to keep in touch from here. From Cape Town it was very hard, it felt really lonely. Um, there's a lot to moving abroad that sounds really romantic and fun, but the reality of it is um, it can be really isolating. So, How did work, you deal with that? Working and continuing to have contact with my friends like in, in New York and doing projects for people in New York was really helpful. Um, it made me feel sort of still connected to that world. And once I was going into the Conde offices and pulling for shoots and being in an office environment, again, it really helped a lot. But the first couple of weeks, for sure, were a little dicey, um,
1: just in terms of, like, my social well-being. But how long do you think, how long did it take until you felt like you'd got over that hump? I think it's kind of touch and go. I mean, and I think that that applies to most people who are
0: freelance. It's kind of a solitary mission. You know, you, you work... I. In London, also, I had to get to the point where it's like I can't work from home every day. I have to go to like the Starbucks or wherever, and just to be around other people. You have to make adjustments to make yourself feel comfortable. But I think in Cape Town, it took me um, maybe a month to feel like I had enough of a life going on beyond what I was doing at home.
1: Um, so let's talk about your Instagram account and were you on social media because I know you like Instagram a lot and you have a lot of followers something like 18,000 followers on Instagram <laughs> and I know um, they're really in, they're really, your audience is really engaged with you on there how have you built up such a strong following? Um, First of all I think part
0: of it for me was right place right time being Eva's assistant she gave me little shout outs and things but more than anything it's so just that's ha- what happened at the beginning that's how beginning. you kind of
1: got a bit of a start with Eva yeah
0: I think so and also helping um, you so that was lucky but then you know people unfollow you so you have to have a <laughs> pretty clear unfollow. vision of um, of the type of person you want to be in a public sphere and the type of content okay, so you want to produce creating a
1: public persona
0: so I mean not in the sense that it's inauthentic it's just kind of like picking images that fit well together the content has to be of a certain level I think for you to feel successful at it. What if that's did you your...
1: decide when you were starting out? Did you make a decision that this was the kind of image you were going to use and this was the kind of tone of voice you'd use, or did you not set yourself any parameters?
0: I didn't set myself any parameters, it just had to feel like something that I would want to look at and something that I would actually say. Um, so I think the main thing for me was just staying as close to myself as possible, but also not posting any blurry photos, not posting anything that I wouldn't double click on. Um, And it's been interesting to see, like... I think every so often it's really fun to kind of scroll back through your feed. It's a really nice visual diary of your life. But also to kind of get an overall sense of this is where my taste level is going. This is what my interests are developing into. Because you kind of do it a little bit subconsciously. And as an editor... um, you have to always be aware of your taste level and, you know, the kind of images you're projecting and the kind of... Like, if you're asking people to pay you to create
1: content for them, you have to be able to show that you can create content for yourself. So that, is that something that you've done? Um, create, created content for Instagram that you then get paid for? It, yeah, I mean, it's terrible to say and probably shouldn't admit it, but for sure. and like you Why know, is it
0: terrible to say? I don't know. It just feels kind of icky, I guess, when you talk about it. But, like, the truth is it's, it's a great vehicle to create it you know i mean a i think that's
1: something lots that of people would be quite interested to know about yeah, and I, want I w- to know
0: how they I could have had do one that. experience where i did a project and it wasn't um in the end i wasn't too proud of myself for it but in the for the most part it's like you typically find a brand that really resonates with you and how that you does it like, come
1: about that you even get a brand talking to you when i was in a magazine thing. they
0: would just email me um and depending on the brand and the product, I would kind of be like, yeah, I'm into it or maybe not so much. Um, and now, again, it's kind of like emails coming to me. I work with an agency out of New York. They represent me as a stylist and also for like special bookings kinds of things. So they help a lot with that too, which is really nice. Um, but it, yeah, it...
1: I, didn't do too much reaching out to other people trying to see if they wanted if if somebody wanted to do that and they didn't know how to go about it how would they start i think the first step is just building a solid
0: base of engaging great content um you can't be Posting things that don't have a clear message of who you are and what you represent and what your interests are, and start reaching out to random people and you know expecting them to fork over tons of cash for your feed. The first step really is doing the work and creating a clear and consistent style and um, something that people want to buy into, kind of. And then I think you know you can start reaching out to other brands. Or um, I've heard from friends that it has been helpful for them if like there is some brand that they're super loyal to to tag them repeatedly in photos where you're like wearing the thing and if, you know maybe they'll reach out to you or something. There's just lots of creative ways to kind of get around the typical email reach out format when it comes to social media. I think that Instagram and Twitter it's like the biggest free Rolodex that exists. You can have contact with anybody you want if you just do it in a smart,
1: tactful way. So you think? So you do that? You repeatedly tag brands and like invite people to look at your posts. I haven't done that personally as a strategy, but
0: like I know that you know, I do tag the brands that I love to wear, and I think that that's part of creating authentic content. Is like, you know, representing the reality. Like I'm not dressed in head-to-toe Dior, and I don't want people to think that. And so it's. I think
1: it's important to tag the the brands that you like, but um. I also really like the little videos that you do on your Instagram where you show the outfit that you're wearing today and they're kind of done in hyperlapse or they're just sped up images. Yeah. Um, how did those come about? That started... I
0: um, made a video like that with my friend Emily. I had this idea to do a Fashion Week video of the two of us, what we were wearing each day. She and I tend to dress like twins, even though we have very different personal style. And then I just liked making those videos. And I... It's, I mean, that's kind of another as a tangent part of being freelance and working on your own it's a little weird it's like you don't really have anyone to bounce these ideas off of and so you make these videos and put them up and you're like was that really strange like was it weird that I made that and you can kind of spiral out really easily um but you know it's like that's who I am and that's what I like and you gotta sort of keep doing it even if sometimes you feel a little bit weird or embarrassed after the fact um but yeah, I think that those are really... I just I like so when making videos so in on, general. even when you
1: post things that you're not sure about them, you just leave them up there and just see what happens. Yeah.
0: I mean, unless, like... Yeah, for the most part. Unless it's something that, in retrospect, I'm like, that's just really... was I shouldn't have been posting at that time, whether I was, like, having a drink or whatever it was. <laughs> Sometimes you have to go back and edit yourself. But for the most part, like, if it's something that I think is always a weird idea that I had, um, I'll
1: just, I'll let it live. I'll leave it up. So, so, there's the writing and the styling and then the social media, all of which obviously are ways of supporting yourself financially when you're a freelance, and it's quite cool, because now, in like with modern media, those are all different ways that you can do that. Those are things that weren't available to freelance uh, journalists before. It's been primarily
0: those three things, and there was definitely a point when I was first in Cape Town where there wasn't a lot of work coming in and i was kind of freaking out but i had saved some money before i left obviously and that's part of the deal with being freelance you get the freedom and you can sit in bed in your pajamas all day technically working and it's great but then also some weeks you don't have any cash coming in and you're kind of do you miss working out. in an office um I do and I don't. I really loved the office atmosphere. I love being around the girls and I had such good friends at work and like, you know, sometimes it feels like grown up summer camp a little bit and I miss that. I miss being part of a team and having people to bounce ideas off of. I miss having someone to be like, that's too weird, Laurel, stop. Just So like, now that you've
1: done both, what do you think, what would you, what do you think you'll go on to do? Do you think you'll stick to doing the freelance thing or do you s- see yourself going back to working... On magazines, or not maybe not on a magazine, but you know, in a traditional office role?
0: Yeah, I think I'm open um, to both. I I see myself right now staying freelance for a while. Um, the dream would be to do an ongoing project. I think we are going into an office on a semi regular basis and contributing to something that's more long term, but still being able to maintain my personal life and um, working on like weird random projects, whatever comes up. I'm not, um, you know, I think the. If I've learned anything from my career, it's to just try and keep an open mind and accept what comes. Um, and, you know, you really never know where it's gonna go, so I'm just sort of... Sort of follow the opportunities kind I'm of riding the wave a little yeah. bit, yeah. I,
1: like, I've always kind of had an open mind about all of it. Just look for the next. And is there an element of bravery as well? I can sort of feel like you've sort of taken the opportunities yeah. as they've arisen, but also had the balls to actually go right. I'm gonna do this.
0: Yeah. Y- I mean, yeah, if I can give myself a little bit of a pat on the back, like I I do think there's there's a lot of freak out moments to, if I'm going to be completely honest, like being outside of an office and leaving this security blanket, there's a lot of times where I'm like, I see my friends getting promoted and moving up and moving forward. And I'm, you know, doing all these amazing things and I'm incredibly lucky. And sometimes you have to remind yourself, like, this is, this is just a different sort of path. Like, you know... It's just as valid, it's just as good. You're moving forward. You don't have a title, so no one's going to give you a promotion. But, you, you can know, give yourself a promotion. I can give myself yeah. a promotion. But like, you know, you're still doing interesting things and I get to travel and like I just if someone had told me when I was 16 that this would be my life when I was 29, I would have said there's absolutely no way I will ever do anything that cool. There's it's just impossible. And so now Looking back on all of it, I'm like, I just
1: can't believe I've been this lucky. Sounds pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Finally, um, are there any things that you um, can recommend as things that have helped you, like resources like websites or books or um, audio books or anything like that that you think are particularly useful and you'd recommend?
0: I think um, if you're trying to do your career kind of like mine where you do a little bit of everything, it's important to just... to. Read as much as you can. I read like I would read the phone book if you put me in front of it. You know, I read fiction, memoirs. I read a lot of blogs. I love Fashionista. I love um, New York Mag has a great fashion website called The Cut, and they do really good interviews. And the writing is just so smart and so funny. Um, There's another great one called Exposed Zippers, and they do interviews with successful women. And I think um, it's just good. If there's someone whose career you admire, it's great to just spend a couple of minutes and sort of cyber stalk them a little bit, like read interviews with them, see how <laughs> they got to where they are. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just I I think it's also important to know a little bit about art and even sports. It's it's just good to have a general knowledge of a lot of different things. You know, you're you're selling yourself as um, a multi hyphenate, and you should really have multi-hyphenate interests if you're me
1: sounds good (laughs) yeah thank you very much thank you for having me so that was laurel pantine talking about her big idea tune in next week to hear the next my big idea and check out previous episodes on acast itunes or your favorite podcast app bye